me. Hi, how you doing? Hello, Nicola. Thank you very much for joining me today on Indigo Sessions. Uh, today I have Nicola Brown with me. She is a person of many hats, so I'm going to uh, let her take it from here and share with us some, uh, actually, some very wonderful stuff on what she does and, and uh, what she offers here. So, uh, with that, do you want to take the floor from here, please? Oh, thank you so much for inviting me on um, to have this chat and tell my story. Um, I think the stories are always important to tell, especially if they've, you know, taken you um, in some really interesting directions. Um, so thank you. Thank you. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. You're welcome. Um, yeah, I mean, I, my name is Nicola Brown and um, I'm a natural health and well-being practitioner for humans and animals. Um, I'm basically here to help provide solutions, natural solutions for the planet's ascension and healing also. Um, and to help all of Mother Earth's inhabitants to go through their ascension and evolve into their higher selves and evolve all of the species on the planet Earth. Because um, I know we sometimes focus on uh, what's happening with the human species. Um, but, you know, every species on the planet is going through an ascension and going through a transformation. Yeah. So they need support, you know, our plants, our trees, our animals, the insects, uh, the water, every element on the planet needs some support. So, yes, I, I started off my journey... Um, Really, when I was born, um, I was very sort of awakened to my connection with the animal kingdom from a very young age, um, particularly canines. Um, you know, I would I would run up into a dog in the street and just wrap my arms around it, <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. like doggy. You know, my mum was always pulling me off them. Um, but I seem to have a very strong connection with them and an understanding of them from a very early age. Um, so, yes, I started off really life, you know, sort of um, just being really interested in animals. And then I learned about, you know, what I was eating as I was growing up as a child, learned about what I was eating and suddenly realised what I was on my plate was animals and um, that kind of just horrified me. <laughs> so, and then I found out about you, you didn't have to eat animals living on this planet. So yeah. I'm a vegetarian uh, at age eight. And um, just sort of really, you know, as a teenager, started getting into, I don't know, a bit of the animal rights movement, um, you know, that was going on and, and campaigning for kind of treatment to animals especially with yeah. testing on animals and things like that so but yes yeah, so I always loved animals and then my very first I mean I had little pets uh, I had little budgerigars and gerbils the school gerbils and but actually you know through my childhood um every time I asked my mother for a dog she would be like you know she'd come up with an excuse no, can't oh, no. Or, 
no, can't have it, or it says no, no, no. But I would ask, I was very, you know, I personally would, I would ask every week, can we have a dog? Can we have a dog? Yes, um, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure a lot of younger listeners out there can uh, relate to. Um, and then the, the universe finally manifested my wish when I was 15 years old. It took 15 years to manifest. Manifest 15? Wow. Yes, yes. So anyone out there <laughs> trying to manifest, don't give up. <laughs> Sometimes the universe takes its time. Oh, goodness. And um, yes, anyway, I was I was out one, one day with my friend and this little, this little tiny dog. He was a Jack Russell Terrier. Ran past me and ran out into the road. Oh. And this car was coming and he screeched his brakes on and missed hitting this little dog by millimetres. Oh, my goodness. Um, and he wound down his window, because I kind of screamed, you know, like, ah, screamed out. And the yes. driver wound his window down and said, can't you keep your effing dog under control? <laughs> oh, wow. And <laughs> um, I said, oh, it's not my dog. I don't know whose dog it is. Anyway, he drove off. He was, he was quite angry and drove off. And this little dog came and sat at my feet and looked <laughs> up at me. I was like, wow, you saved my life. And I looked down at it and we just bonded. It was lovely. <laughs> yes. And oh I was looking around and I was like, well, there's no human around. Where, you know, there's no human with this dog. He was just running around in a busy town with a busy road. So... I kind of like picked him up and kind of started walking home. Now it was a three mile walk back home, but I put him down and he, he, I didn't pick him up the whole way, but I put him down and he just did not leave my side and he followed me all the way home. And I turned up at the front door and my mum answered the front door and she said, oh, what have you got there? Because I was quite known to bring things like little injured birds and things home. She was like, is he okay? And I said, well... He nearly got run over, and I told her the story. I said, he's just followed me home, Mum. <laughs> he's just followed me home, you know. Anyway, he came in the house, and he was, I remember, he was sniffing around the kitchen. And my mum was watching him, and she sat down on the floor to get sort of a better look at him. And she looked up at me, and she said, you know we can't keep him. And he, he looked at my mum at that point, and he, he went over, and he climbed up on her lap. And he put his little nose in her armpit and he went to sleep. <laughs> like a little baby in her arms. And her heart melted, obviously. <laughs> and I thought, there's one smart dog. You know, there's one smart dog. He's not going anywhere. It was like, Mum, the universe has bought my manifestation, you know. So <laughs> let's not deny it or reject it. Let's embrace it there you go <laughs> <laughs> so, um, after yeah, quite the smooth one with words there huh <laughs> yeah, i was i was like i've got a dog i'm not letting it go you know <laughs> and, oh, uh, um, so both yeah, you and the dog are working her huh yeah we did we did contact the, the local police station the local shelter and they basically said well you can bring him in but if he's not claimed within seven days he'll just be euthanized they'll put him to sleep mm -hmm. and that horrified me i was like what so i yeah. said to him well we can't we can't put him in the pound 
you know, we've got to keep him. And, and she said, well, we'll keep him for seven days and, and then we'll have to rehome him because you can't keep him. <laughs> she kept saying to me, you can't keep him. And in my head, I was thinking, yes, I can. <laughs> anyway, after the, the seven days, no home was found. Nobody had come forward. And she said, right, it's time we find this dog another home. And I just looked at her and I said, mum, if the dog goes, I go with it. Because <laughs> so, we'd bonded, we'd bonded in that week, and there was, there was no way that we were going to be separated. So my mum let me keep him. <coughs> I had my own little dog. Now she met was, your demands. <laughs> yeah, it was. She just, she just knew. Him. And oh, I think, she... to be honest, she'd fallen in love with him as well. To be fair. You know, he he'd, he'd gotten into our hearts as these dogs. Yeah. Well, you made it clear if the dog goes, you go. You know, that's yeah. that's it. That's your <laughs> that's your line in the sand there. You know. Yeah. There was no negotiating. Yeah. That was that was the conditions of of what we were talking about. So um, she could just see that. Yeah, I was. So she said to me, right? Well, you know, you take on full responsibility and. Uh, I had a little part-time job at that point, but she was like, well, you know, you've got to pay for everything. I had to pay for his food and everything. She helped me out when she could, but she, she gave me full responsibility of this little dog. Now, this little dog was so well-behaved at home and such a joy in my life, but my gosh, took him outside into the outside world. and He was like the little Tasmanian devil. <laughs> he was severely aggressive. To oh wow! Moved any other animals, um, dogs, cats, squirrels, anything. He just anything was fair game. Yes. And, um, he would, you know, he he had no he had no fear, and he would go and attack all the big dogs, you know, like the German shepherds and the Rottweilers, and and all I had really was, you know, other dog. Uh, pet parents, I like to call them. Don't really like to call them owners because we don't own animals. They're, they're our friends. Um, yeah, all the I had all the the human companions of these animals shouting at me, and all I got was, "Can't you keep your f hidden dog under control?" I had it from day one, from the first moment. You see, yes. so I was, you know, being fifteen, I I loved this dog, but I didn't really know what I was doing with it. You know, I, I didn't. I hadn't studied anything on how to properly care for a dog. I didn't know anything about its species or anything. But I just loved it, like most people on the planet do. You know, they oh, I love a dog, yes. I get a dog. But they haven't actually done any um, proper study into the species and the psychology and properly eat, you know, not. And yeah, I just basically followed the pet, the the, the normal standard mm -hmm. pet protocol. You know, uh, went and got his vaccines done at the vet, and did this and did that. And anyway, the the vet gave me the advice the vet gave me because I said, you know, he's attacking all these dogs and everything. And the vet told me to roll the newspaper up and whack him on the nose. Oh goodness. And then I went into the pet shop and the pet shop man said to me, I'll buy this muzzle and this choke chain and yank the choke chain and strangle him <laughs> when he's attacking the dog. And I was just like horrified. I was like, really, is this what the professionals are, the advice the professionals are giving out to deal with an aggressive animal? I was oh, like, wow. God. And, you know, not 
I, my something inside of me was telling me this was not good, you know. But yeah. I, I bought the muzzle and the choke chain. I didn't roll the newspaper and whack him on his nose. I, I just, I knew that was not right. But I, I tried the choke chain and the muzzle thing, and it just him worse, and it made me worse because I was like, you know, you take yeah. it upon yourself because you suddenly think, well, I'm following the ex, the expert's advice, and it's not working. So you take it upon yourself and you think, well, it must be something I'm doing. I'm doing wrong, you know. So, yeah, anyway, we just had a very frustrating time. So I learnt to take him out very early in the morning and very late at night when there was very, you know, few other dog walkers around. And then I could let him off and he could have a good run, you know. It was a Jack Russell yeah. and he, he needed to run. Oh, yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> And then one night, you know, I, I just was doing the avoidance technique. Again, many people listening to this have probably done that themselves or know somebody in their life that is doing that. And it's not solving the problem. We're not looking yeah. at why the dog's aggressive. Um, so, yeah, I, one night I was out and um, he disappeared. And I was calling and calling and calling for about 20 minutes. And he finally came back and laid down by my feet. And it was very late at night. It was about 11 o'clock at night, I think. Very dark, you know. And I couldn't really see what was going on. But I could I could tell something was not good. He was, he was not right. You know, his breathing was really strange. And he was covered in what looked like, because it was so dark, it looked like he was covered in mud. And I, I couldn't work out what had happened. I was like, has he been in a fight with another dog? Or, you know, I was like, because I yeah. didn't know what happened to him. <clears throat> so anyway, he stopped breathing. So I picked him up and ran him home. And when I got to the front door, the light was on outside the front door. And I realized he was covered in blood and the panic just set in. Oh, my. And... Um, yeah, I'd, I'll never forget. It was like he'd got home and he just let out this almighty scream. I've never heard a dog scream in so much pain. And I knew I knew my, my little friend was in big trouble. But I didn't know what happened to him, you know. So anyway, we rushed him down the vets and they examined him. And they said, it looks like he's been hit by a car. And they x-rayed him. What actually happened was his rib cage had smashed and punctured his lung. So he had massive internal bleeding. Oh, no. And I was, what, 16 and a half at the time. And, yeah, I, I, I learnt that in a moment life can dramatically change. A massive trauma, you know, to him and me. And... Um, Sadly, he died in the vets the next day. I wasn't with him, and it absolutely devastated me. Uh, it was probably one of the biggest traumatic events of my life. Um, I took it upon myself that I was the worst dog owner in the world. I vowed never to get another dog again. Um, just couldn't bear opening my heart up to that kind of level of love, to have it so what seemed so cruelly ripped away from me you know I'd only just got him I'd only had him a year and a half and I think you know the day that I found him uh, I, I saved him from getting run over it was like he was almost destined to get run over this little dog but I had to yeah. save him and he <clears> had <throat> to bring me these lessons and these teachings and I see it all so clearly now you know from from how I developed on from this but 
it's generally, you know, a big trauma like that in life does set you on the path of healing. And um, yes. so, yeah, I just sort of shut down my heart to, you know, and I'd see people with dogs and, and I, I just was so upset, so in grief, so wanted another dog, but I told myself that I was terrible dog owner and I, you know, I could never have another dog again because I, I killed my dog really as well because, oh, you know, through my, yeah. through my ignorance of not knowing what yeah. to do and how to handle, um, you know, and, and I just took it all upon myself uh, for his death. And um, it was about eight years later that um, I saw, I opened a magazine and I saw it said there was a home study course for dog psychology. It was about five hundred pounds, a bit more money than what I had, but I just mm-hmm. it just jumped out at me, and I just said I've got to do that. <laughs> so I sent off the money, and I got because I I just thought I want to learn where I went wrong, and because I thought I do want another dog again, but I want to study this time, and I want to know exactly, I want to learn everything I can, and I want to know exactly what to do if I get another aggressive dog again, you know? Yes. So, yeah, I started studying this home study course and it was sort of really written for somebody who already had a dog. And it was like, try this on your dog and try that on your dog. And and I sat there and I thought, well, I haven't got a dog. So I was like, well, where am I going to get a dog from? (laughs) (laughs) I started volunteering down at the local dog's home and just started walking the dogs, you know, going into the kennels and putting the lead on and walking them. And then I decided to stop doing that and actually go and sit in the kennels with the dogs. And I just used to go in and sit with the kennel inside the kennels with the dogs for hours upon hours. And I did it. I ended up doing it actually. And I travelled the world. I travelled over to America and worked in uh, Best Friends in Utah, their largest animal sanctuary. Uh, worked in the SPS. SPCA in New Zealand in Wellington and I worked in several uh, dogs homes around the UK and I literally volunteered and I did that for eight years and I just would go and sit with the dogs in the kennels and that's really where I learnt their language and learnt how to communicate with them telepathically, spiritually, physically you know, so if their tail yeah. switched one way, it was like, you know, and I, I learned their body language and I learned how to communicate with them. And just by becoming one of them, really. Um, and people would often, you know, would, you know, the general public would come to these animal shelters to look for a dog and they'd walk along the kennels and be like, oh, he's a nice dog, he's a nice dog. And then they'd just see me sat in the kennels with them. Like, why, are you, why are you sat in there? And I'd be like, I'm just being a dog. <laughs> Um, but yes, I spent many, many years doing that. Um, and as I say, it took took me over to America. And when I when I found Best Friends, and again, I didn't plan to go to Best Friends. I didn't know anything about Best Friends Animal Sanctuary. Uh, me and my partner at the time actually got lost. We were on, on the way somewhere else and we got lost and pulled over to a motel. And he was asking for directions. And I found a leaflet in the leaflet stand and it said Angels Canyon and it just jumped out at me. Again, it was meant to be, you know, divinely guided. 
um, to get lost that day and for me to find the leaflet. And yeah. I pulled out the leaflet and I was just like, oh my God, and this place is like five, five minute drive down the road. So I said to my partner, we're going here. And we ended up completely detouring our trip and stuff two or three weeks and I just um, just spent that time at Best Friends in Angels Canyon and that is where because my business is called Canine Angel uh, which I set up on the 8th of the 8th 2008 and I actually named my business Canine Angel after Angels Canyon because it had such a profound um, such a profound experience uh, on, on my soul because the dogs and the cats and the animals in, the, in this place had been so badly treated by humans that had led them into this place. I mean, there was a dog who had had half his face blown <coughs> by a shotgun. There was, another, there was another dog in there that had had his whole body acid poured all over him. And you know, they were all skin scarring and no hair, and other dogs that had been chucked out the back of a of a truck and dragged along. And I mean, you know, yeah, other dogs that had been thrown out of high rise story. And and you know, these dogs, these animals, were just still full of unconditional love the humans that were there caring for them you know considering they'd been so badly treated by humans it and it just it just opened my heart up massively to see and to learn you know the the absolute love and unconditional love that animals bring to us on the planet um you know i mean in unconditional love i i feel they're far more <laughs> ahead uh, in the, in being able to give and receive unconditional love than the human species is because yes. we have been so programmed with conditions, you know, you've got to look like this, do this, behave this way to be loved or accepted in society where, you know, it was a two-way thing. I It didn't matter that this guy had his, <coughs> what he looked like that it had his face blown off by a shotgun. I, I just wanted to give that dog my love and my... But, you know, they... they I asked, you know, because I learned to communicate with the animals, I asked the animals what they needed from us, us humans. What, what could we do to help them from their point of view, you know? Because... Yeah. When we deal with animals in this world, it's all, you know, especially even the laws or the legislation that are written about animal welfare and everything, it's all written by a human. So you sat there and thought about what the animal needs. And for a successful relationship to happen, both parts of the relationship, both needs need to be met. A relationship breaks down when one person is perhaps providing the other person's needs, but the other person isn't providing for their needs. And of course, you need to provide for your own needs, but um, you know, when you when you do have a friendship or a relationship, you need to provide for your needs. And this is where you know I started looking deeper into what humans were doing with animals and how the animals were actually mirroring back what the humans were actually doing to themselves 
and I'll give you an example for that. It's like the, the general protocol when when somebody goes to get an animal, you know, a pet, is to, you know, go and get a puppy and then go to the pet shop or go online and get the puppy a collar and a lead and a bag of food and a bed and some toys and then let's get it to the vet and get its vaccinations and its flea treatments and that is the general protocol but actually that protocol was set up by the pet uh, industry and the pet industry provides all of that is actually very toxic to the animal yeah it's very humanized and it's very toxic you know when you put an animal out in the wild it has none of that but when we domesticate the animals you know we we think you know we're providing it food or we've got a lovely bed or we've got a collar and a lead and everything and we're providing for its needs but we're not actually providing it the needs the basic needs for those animals in the way that the animal needs it's more for the human i mean a dog doesn't need a, a cuddly toy it's more for the human you know the dog will play with a cuddly toy and enjoy a cuddly toy but it doesn't need it what a dog needs you know the dog is a carnivore animal what a dog needs is a is a raw bone from the butcher right you give a dog a raw bone from the butcher and it's happy as larry it's in its it's in heaven and you know when you look at what the pet food industry have done and this is where i started learning it wasn't just you know the dog psychology course that i did you know that was looking at the uh, the species of the canine and understanding their psychological point of view but then when i looked at, at, at actually learning about the canine psychology and the way its mind works and the way it thinks and obviously also communicating with the animals and talking to them myself I suddenly realized that this pet food or this pet industry protocol that we have for our animals, our domesticated animals, wasn't resonating with what the animals actually needed and wanted. And it was actually causing mass toxicity, mass disease, mass behavioral problems and mass death. Because, you know, out of all of the animal homes that I worked in, the, their major problems were they were overcrowded and there was too many dogs for the amount of space that they had, the amount of funding they had, the amount of staff they had. So a third of the dogs that enter to these homes are immediately euthanized, murdered, killed, because there's no space for them, there's no money for them, there's no whatever. Now why has that dog ended up in, in the dog's home? There's many different scenarios and circumstances why a dog will end up in a, in a dog zone. But many times it's because the human doesn't know that the dog has a behavioural problem or a health problem and the human doesn't know how to fix it. Or it becomes way too costly to fix. Yeah. You know, vet bills <clears throat> yeah. on it and can't afford it, so... That it becomes too much of a stress and they end up having to desert the dog or put the dog in or get into somebody else's care. So, you know, when I was working in the in the animal sanctuaries, you know, I was like, what am, what am I doing with all this learning and how can I help when I come out of this system? What What's the best thing I can do? And I wanted to go into rescue dog rehabilitation. So 
when a dog, when a rescue dog went into a new home, I could educate the people exactly what to do to stop it going back in the home. So it would stay in its forever home. And that's really where I wanted, you know, my skills to lie. Uh, and to get educational programs out there for people who were going to take on a new puppy or a rescue dog to take this information, to take this education, which is all written, if you like, by the animals, not humans. This is the animals' lessons that I have written into all my training products and classes and online training. And, you know, I've got a, a whole home study course myself. I, it's 80,000 words, it's nine units. I've written it, I've done, you know, and I, I say in there, this is everything that the animals ever taught me, I'm going to pass the, this information on for anybody who actually wants to learn, you know, not just get a dog or a puppy and think they know it all because they don't. I'm sorry, but if unless you've really studied something, you don't know. And just picking up a, dog, a book about the breed is not adequate enough in my in my mind to actually learn and this is where you know I say even if you just learn how to feed this animal properly that in itself is the number one crucial thing because as I say so many people are going out there and buying the processed pet food not having a clue what's in it putting it in their bowl every day <coughs> their dog's dying at sort of 12 or 13 and the vet's going oh he's lived a good life when actually these dogs can be living into their late 20s or 30s, we were actually halving their lifespan by being ignorant to what these animals actually want. Because, I mean, let's face it, you know, it's the same with the human population. You know, they're filling their, their selves with junk food. And we've got massive health, global pandemic health issues because the humans aren't eating properly. And it all goes down to what you put in your body. So, you know, what this is what the animals want to do is help the human race. It's like any clients that do come and start learning how to feed their dogs properly has a knock-on effect and they start feeding themselves properly. And the dog gets better and the human gets better. Because if I have a dog that comes to me with a health issue or a behavioural issue, the human's got issues too, right? And the dog's yeah. just mirroring it's just mirroring the animals mirroring what's going on in the human so what my work actually about is about is helping to for the, for the human species to evolve heal ascend whatever word you want to use but i'm working with the animals to help the humans do that i'm not an animal healer i'm working with the animals to kind of help the, the human heal so I've got this very strong relationship with the animal kingdom, um, you know, all of the animal kingdom in this realm and the spiritual realm. Um, they all communicate me, from me from all over the place, all over the universe and realms and different style systems. And, you know, that's, that's really what Canine Angel is all about, is um, helping the human to really find their way back to mother nature because you know when when i say to somebody okay you know we let's teach you your dog is a carnivore it's got a set of teeth and a digestive system to actually eat raw meat raw bones and you know this whole thing of i mean when you think about it you know we took the 
the species appropriate diet off of the dog and the cat and we replaced it with plastic toys and plastic bones I mean it's actually really quite idiotic and unintelligent <clears throat> of us to do that right but we how many people are going to the pet store this weekend to buy their their dog a rubber bone to play yeah. with and I'm like no you just go to the butchers and get your dog a real bone because you see by removing the bones the raw bones out of these animals diet we are hurting mother earth because mother earth put predators on the planet to consume bones because when the bones go through the digestive system of the predators the bears the wolves the tigers the lions the cats the dogs you know these are the predator animals on the planet and mother nature put them on there so that they could consume rotting flesh and rot and rotting bones now when that goes through the digestive system of the animal it comes out in their poop and it remineralizes the soil. So what have we got now? We've got all this processed food that we're not just feeding the domesticated animals, we're feeding the farm animals too, all of the GMO corn and crops, full of pesticides, full of toxic carcinogenic substances we are filling our animals with. Whether yeah. it's a cat, a dog, a cow, a pig, a sheep, a chicken, <clears throat> They're all on extremely toxicated foods. And then the health of the animal breaks down and the veterinary associations get involved and the pharmaceutical uh, industries get involved and the animal insurance companies get involved. And they're all making billions and billions of pounds or dollars out of actually making these animals sick and then providing and you know it's the same with the humans let's group let's yeah all this toxic food out and then let's get them hooked on to our drugs our medications our health service yeah and what's actually happening in the world now is this you know this global pandemic or whatever is just highlighting what we're doing to our animals we're doing to ourselves and you know when you actually stop and you, you stop trying to save the world, but you go, well, you know what? I've got a dog here and I'm feeding him processed food. Well, I'm going to take Nicky's course. It's only two hours long and I'm going to learn how to feed my dog properly. It's species appropriate diet. And that's going to put my animal back into balance. And then, you know, if my animal's in balance, then if that is true, that what I'm doing to my animal, I'm doing to myself, I'm going to come into balance. So this is how we have the knock-on effect. And this is really what, I've been given as a mission here on planet Earth to do. This is this is why I'm Canine Angel. I mean, it's such a it's such an in-depth story because you know when I went on to and I came out of the rescue system and I passed, you know, I took up human psychology at uh, evening class because I wanted to study the human psychology as well as the dog, the animal psychology. So I'm fully trained, qualified human and animal psychologist. I studied the the pet and diet nutrition and you know natural health uh, alternative solutions for both humans and animals. And that journey took me a period of you know I've been on a, on this journey for two decades now. And you know when you when you get to that point 
or you've been doing this so long that you become expert in your field and you know what you're doing because you've had enough case studies, you've had enough animals, you've had enough people, you've had enough experience to see what the patterns of the health breaking down and what the yeah. solutions are working. So it's taken me, you know, years to develop my healing protocol and I have specific protocols that I can help animals or humans with. Yes, I came out and um, came out of sort of my study period and said, it's time to get another dog. And, you know, sort of, what was it? Um, yeah, I hadn't had a dog for like 20 years since Jake, and I, it was time to get another one. So I wrote to all of the dog homes in the UK, and I wrote a standard letter to them, and I said, I'm a dog psychologist, animal healer, communicator, stroke animal communicator. Work. Give me what I'm looking for is to foster and rehabilitate and find new homes for all of the animals, the most severe cases of health or behavioural that you have in your care at the moment. I want that dog and I want to bring him out and I want to get him better and I want to find him a new home. Oh, wow. And <clears throat> so I said, you know, give me your most aggressive or the one that's just, out, <laughs> you know, is on death row or whatever. I yeah. Want that. I want that because I was like, I want that because I know that I can fix it. So within wow. five minutes of me sending this uh, email out, I got a call from the Greyhound Trust and they said, oh, my God, you're an angel. <laughs> I was like, I am actually. <laughs> and they said, <laughs> We've got this dog called Annie here, and we were literally talking this morning about euthanizing her because nobody has a solution for her. And they said, we, we just literally put a call out. She said, I literally said, maybe we could get, maybe there's somebody out there who could help Annie. And she said, because I said that, I think, and your email just came in five minutes later. She said, look at Annie. <laughs> And I was like, yeah. I said, where is she? So then she gave me the postcode and I looked it up and Annie was five minutes down the road from me. I mean, I wrote to all of the dog homes in, in the UK. I, you know, she could have been up in Scotland or, or it, she was five mm. minutes down the road from me. <laughs> so I jumped in my car <clears throat> and raced down and she was actually with her greyhound uh, racing trainer. She was a racing greyhound. And she'd been racing for four years. And she'd got to the point where she'd become, they'd labelled her uh, severely fear aggressive. And she was basically biting anybody that came in her kennel. She was full on attack on them. Mm -hmm. So everybody had got completely scared um, to go in this, in this kennel with her. And... Um, so, yeah, I was, I went to meet this highly aggressive, what they said was highly aggressive dog, you know. And um, I went to look at her in a kennel and she was in a two by two, two foot by two foot kennel with just straw on the floor. And it was in, it was in like a big old cow shed. And it was freezing cold. And I just thought she's been living in this little tiny space for four years. And the only time she ever gets out of here is to run around a track. Um, 
and they would sh- you know they they share the kennels so there's two dogs in there and, and obviously oh, wow. when the dogs fight the trainer will generally go in and just do anything to separate the dogs because obviously if his dog gets injured it's vet bills for him he, the dog can't race that weekend and earn the trainer any money so he, he pretty much can go in there and just be quite harsh you know and kick and, and goodness knows what i mean what annie showed me what happened to her in those kennels in four years is very traumatic very very traumatic four years yeah. she had. so anyway they brought her out and i literally just opened the car door to my back seat and she just as she was getting in she said what took you so long and i was <laughs> like what and i was like she was expecting me she was like i've been calling for you for a while oh um, wow <laughs> so anyway she had this pink muzzle on in the back seat you know and, and she just took to me straight away and obviously you know I, I understand why now but yeah i took the muscle off her and i threw it on the floor and i said you'll never ever need that again because you got me now i said i will look after you and you will never have to share aggression to anybody again because she was showing it out of protection for herself yes she was in a in a very dire situation and in a lot of pain. I mean, the vet had given this dog a clear bill of health and she had severe gut rot, pancreatitis, uh, liver rot. Or she had the most severe mouth rot and tooth decay. I mean, if you've ever had a toothache, you know that how snappy you get. Um, and her poo was coming out bright yellow the other end. And... Um, yeah, I, I, I had a challenge, right? Why had would the doctor give her a clean bill of health? Yeah. Why would that? But no, well, why though? Because this is this is where um, they don't what what they perceive. What I've learned in my time, what what the allopathic perceives as healthy, isn't. Okay, it's just okay. you know I've seen so much misdiagnosis. I've seen so much uh, guesswork from the allopathic vets. Um, I, I've seen it. I've seen it all because you know I've, I've looked at a lot of vet records in my time, and I've seen what was administered and what they've said, and it it, it horrifies me. I shudder when I get vet vet results. If I'm quite honest. Um, because they just haven't, you know, we've got to remember these are just, it's not really their fault. And, I'm, you know, they, they've got their heart in it. But, you know, it's the veterinary association. When a vet goes to vet school, they are taught a certain syllabus. For instance, yes. you know, when a vet, vet goes to vet school, they're given half a day's training on pet diet nutrition. And the information that they learn is provided by the processed pet food company. Oh, shit. And they teach a vet student that a dog isn't, or a cat, you know, a dog is an omnivore, and it's fine to eat grains and kibble, and whereas actually, you know, these pet food companies have got dogs, generally beagles, in testing labs, and they're like, let's test, let's see how much food this dog will eat before it'll get a heart attack or it gets cancer or whatever. And they're oh, actually my. testing their own food on on animals. You know, so that there's cruelty, there's so much cruelty, unbelievable cruelty within the processed pet food industry. Absolutely. I mean, again, you know, in my in my training course, 
it's the first place I start because I, you know, I need to wake up people to stop pouring this stuff into into their animals' bowls because once they actually realise what's going on, then they're ready to put it in the bin and then they say, okay, what what do we feed? You know, we go back to the the animal species appropriate diet, and I say, you know, if you brought a koala bear into your care, would you feed it a tin of dog food? No, you'd, you'd get some eucalyptus leaves, right? Because that's what yeah. the koala bear thrives on. So what is a what is a carnivore dog who's the closest, you know, there's because there's 36 different species within the canine species and the domesticated dog is one of them. You've got your wolves, your jackals, your dingoes, your, you know, all of your wild dogs, your foxes. Da, da, da. There's 36 different canine species. And yet within the dog, the domesticated dog, there's about 500 different breeds. And a breed really is just a different outfit. It's all the same inside, you know, it's all, you know, like a dog, a dog's digestive system uh, has got pH level of one acidity in its stomach. Whereas compared to us, we've got pH level four so a dog's tummy is naturally more acidic because it's designed to break down raw bones. So it can break it down, poo it out and go back into the soil and complete the cycle of the soil for Mother Nature. So all of these animals on the planet, we've got all of these animals in factory farms, we've got all of these domesticated animals and they're all being fed absolute poison and pooing out absolute poison which is now, you know, why we've got absolute poison in our soil and our water. Along with yeah. the human species on the planet also doing the same thing, you know, and all these pharmaceutical drugs, they all end up in, in the sewers, in the waters, you know, and we wonder why there's a big virus pandemic on the planet, you know. So my education really is about providing, as I say, the the correct educational information for people to just listen to what the animals are saying and go back to mother nature you know when we go back to mother nature everything comes in balance and you know when we go and we give our dogs some raw chicken wings and people go raw chicken wings a dog can't have chicken wings it will choke on chicken wings and i'm like when we cook when we when the human interferes with the animal's food and we cook it, we, we would dry and splinter the bone. And yes, when that then goes into the animal, it may rip its insides up. Yes, but a raw bone, no, it's soft, it's gentle, and the dog's back teeth can crush it and the digestive system can dissolve it. But cooked bones that a human has done is extremely dangerous for a cat or a dog. We should never give our dogs or cats cooked bones. And we certainly shouldn't be giving them things like rawhide chews, which are flooded in the pet market. Because if you ever go on YouTube and go and look at how rawhide chews are made, they're bleached and they have arsenic added oh, wow. to them and all sorts of awful chemicals. And I mean, you've only got to look at what the factory wearers are wearing to protect themselves against yeah. the toxicity. And, you know, a lot of people don't realise, but a lot of these processed pet foods contain euthanised cats and dogs. 
they collect all the euthanized cats and dogs from the veterinary surgeries and the zoos and everything like that. All of the, all have had phenobarbital pumped into them to euthanize them, and those animals are generally sick with disease. Um, there's many animals that you know are are killed because there's no room for them somewhere. But yeah, they're all collected up and taken to a pet pet food rendering plant and put in a big grinder and ground up and that slush is then sent off to the pet food industry so you know and then the pet industry the pet food industry don't actually have to put legally the term or, or legally say what's in their pet food they just used to have to, they, they're allowed to use terms so they'll use meat and animal derivatives but what is, you know, this is what I ask people, well, what, you know, what is meat and animal derivatives? If you haven't looked yeah. at what that is, it's actually euthanized cats and dogs. Wow. Vegetable derivatives, you know, again, they'll use human-based words on these pet food packets, vegetable derivatives, yeah. you know. And when you look at what vegetable derivatives are, it's like ash and sawdust and newspaper and maggots and just, just a bulking fiber to bulk out the product but it's got no nutritional value at all but then you know again people don't realize that the biggest sugar manufacturers in the world nestle and mars are the main two manufacturers of pet food the processed pet foods now they're the biggest sugar and wheat manufacturers in the world it's like well they've got piles and piles of sugar and wheat they're like well where should we put it let's put it in the pet food and there's just high amounts of sugar, which, yes. as we know, is carcinogenic. If there's too much in the body, it can cause cancer. But they put all this sugar in the food because obviously it's just going to taste revolting. So they put all the sugar in, they get, it, they get the animals addicted to these foods. And then they put what's called EC preservatives in. And again, if I asked somebody, you know, do you know what EC preservatives are? most people could know have no idea there's a range of up to four thousand different chemicals under the umbrella of ec preservatives and there's things like sunset yellow which has been banned in human foods because it's carcinogenic it's all in the pet food and we wonder why our pets are getting cancer and diabetes and fits and god knows what else all of our poor animals are getting you know, and then intoxicated drugs going on to, oh, here you go, your dog could be on steroids for the rest of its life. Does the vet tell, actually tell the human what the side effects of the steroids actually are, what they're actually doing to that dog? You know, this is all stuff yeah. I've studied and had a look at um, through, you know, through the, I use a, an amazing bit of equipment called the eLibra scanner through bioresonance and through that scanner we take a hair sample we can detect every single poison or toxin chemical it's listed by name we can tell exactly what's in that animal and what's going on in that animal oh wow so you know once once one of my clients comes and actually sees what's going on inside of their actual animal from the hair sample, this is not a vet or a doctor or me telling them, this is their animal's hair sample telling them the story of what's going on. Um, it's very eye-opening for them. And, you know, they can then start making the proper changes 
to their animals or, and to themselves because we do we do the human hair samples as well so we can we can tell exactly what's going on inside your system and then you've got the informed decision to make your own decisions about how you go forward on your healing journey you know you can say right well i'm not going to give my pet that processed pet food anymore i'm going to go down the butchers and i'm going to get them some raw chicken wings and i'm going to learn nick is going to show me how to do that safely I'm going to watch this little training course and I'm going to read her little ebook, and I'm going to learn how to do it and I'm going to help my dog get amazingly better. Yes. I mean, if you see the, the transformation, I actually did post it on my Facebook wall this morning of, of what Annie looked like when I got her out of the kennels and then eight weeks into her new raw diet. I mean, the transformation speaks for itself. She just absolutely fully blossomed into hmm. the dog that she was supposed to be. You know? Yes. And yeah. she became my best teacher, you know, she became my best story, my best testimonial. She would come, you know, she was my work partner, my life partner, everything. She was my soul sister. And, you know, I was supposed to be fostering and rehabilitating her. And I remember the Greyhound Trust, after about 10 months, said, you know, what are you going to do with Annie? And I was like, well, she still needs a bit of work. <laughs> I kept saying she still needs work. I couldn't let her go, you know. <laughs> I had this big plan because I thought, well, when she goes, I can get another dog out and help them, you know. And I thought, well, if I keep her, I can't help more dogs in the way that I wanted to do it. Yes. Um, but I just thought, I, I, I sat there and I looked at her and she said to me, no, we're bonded though. <laughs> so I said, okay you ready to stay with me for the rest of your life? And she said, yeah. And uh, and that's what I did. So I went to the Greyhound Trust and I said, I'm going to adopt her. And everybody cheered. And they also, we knew you were going to. And I said, <laughs> I just couldn't let her go, you know. Um, yeah. And I found, obviously found other ways to help. I've helped thousands of dogs now all over the world with my teaching, my training, my talks, um, and even through, you know, when I when I pass this education on or this information on to my clients who come through, or my students, um, I want to pass it on so well to them that they feel fully confident to go and pass it on to somebody else. So, you know, many a times, you know, the clients say, "Oh, you know, we put the, their dog onto a raw." species appropriate diet and then they'll come back and say, oh my mum and my sister are doing it as well now and my friend she's also doing it and you know you suddenly I've reached four or five dogs with just the one bit of education you know yeah. to educate the right people so um, I wrote my full training course home study training course which covers everything from diet and nutrition to dog whispering to animal communication to human psychology to equipment what what's the right equipment i mean again you know just a very small thing i'd like to touch upon is you know this this lead attached to a collar i mean it just one yank on that dog that dog's only got a yank on it once and it can damage the thyroid gland which is located in the neck it can put the spine out it can put the hip out it can put the, the ankles out and when we start putting things out a balance in the body helps and behavioral problems appear. yes so many, many people have got um, 
anxious dogs, obsessive dogs, aggressive dogs, because simply, well, they've, they've, they've got the rubbish food in the system, but they've got this lead attached to the collar. And um, again, you know, just simply training how to get a well handmade fitted harness and show people how to properly walk their dog. Because, you know, we do have to attach our dogs to us sometimes. But, you know, I, I just walk around and I just see people yanking their dogs on these collars and it breaks my heart because, you know, that's what they think they're to do. That's the way that the, the pet industry has told them to do things. You know, it's, 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 it's years and years of brainwashing by the pet, pet industry. Um, and I'm just here as Canine Angel to help anybody really who is resonating with the things I'm saying here to you know come forward and to get some help spend some time with me you know I can do personal one-to-ones over zoom or you can study at home through my books through my training online training videos I mean you know I put it all into format to to help people so that they can get the information and it's it's about getting it out there because as I say when you when you start focusing in and healing and helping your animals, you go on a journey of discovery of self-healing. And it's a whole journey between you and your animal. And it's the most beautiful journey of discovery. That's what I call it, a journey of discovery between you and your animal. Because you ascend together and you grow together. You know, it's, it's yeah. the most beautiful thing. It's the most beautiful thing. And it's certainly... I've been through that myself, you know, from going from at 16 year olds, years old saying, I'm never going to have another dog again. I'm the worst dog owner in the world. You know, I don't know what, what, what I'm doing. <laughs> to be yeah. able to now be advising thousands of clients around the world to how to have a stronger, deeper uh, relationship with their animal, a, a bond like no other. You know, and, and Annie, Annie still teaches me from the other side, from the other realm. I mean, she taught me right up to the moment she went because, you know, I, I really wanted her to have a natural death. Um, but she got, she got a big tumour appear under her shoulder. And um, I got the, I got a holistic vet right in at the end to come and help uh, with Annie's ascension and euthanisia because um, she did need it in the end. She was in dire pain with this tumour. Yeah. She just couldn't bear it anymore. But, um, you know, she said to me, and you know, it's, it's a really, really common injury. It's a really, really common thing to happen to the ex-racing greyhounds. They get this tumour in old age under the shoulder. So the damage that was done in her early days affected her at the very end of her life wasn't anything you know I'd done or I hadn't done it, it wasn't anything that I had to blame myself before you know I, I did my absolute best with Annie but again she taught me on how to do a euthanized assisted ascension properly and spiritually so that the soul her soul and my soul were at peace or as much peace as possible through going yeah. through that transition and it's going to be the next book that I write is all about uh, what Annie taught uh, 
through her tumor, through her cancer. Apparently, you said the next book. It would be my next book. Yeah. See what is the what is the what is the other book you have out or other books? It's called it's called What Your Dog Is Begging For, and it's on Amazon Kindle, uh, or you can get it on my website, um, or you can write to me, and I can. It's it's in ebook format. Um, but yeah, you can download it on Kindle as well, and it's all about how to. It's got. It's all about how to transition your animal from a processed pet food diet onto their species appropriate diet. Very and nice. It's step by step, um, and I've also uh, got it on Udemy. I've got my courses on Udemy, so I've got a full. Because I did a three-day workshop and we took the cameras in and filmed it, so you've got my workshop training there as well we've split it into very excuse me easy to watch videos um, and again you know you're looking at sort of 20 pounds anything from 20 to 50 pounds to get this level of training um, so I've tried to make it really affordable you know if you come to yes. me personally for one-to-one -one, there's one-to-one -one training fees so it's a bit more but um, some people want the the one-to-one -one with me and other people are quite happy to study at home um, I'm happy to do either, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I love my work, I absolutely love my work, I mean we've just had a, uh, a dog come in who's at seven years old, is going blind and has had a tumour cut out already from its uh, colon area and you know, through the hair sample analysis that we do, we've identified a whole load of um, poisonous chemicals within its system that has been found in the tick collar that it's been wearing for six years. Oh, wow. And the side effects, no. actually, when you look up these, yeah. um, these things are these toxic ingredients that have been lab tested on animals, you know, is blindness. So, again, you know, the, the allopathic system has said, oh, this is just genetic and um, he's going to be on these eye drops for the rest of his life. And that's the only answer that this person's got. Now, she, luckily, she, she found a bioresonance therapist out in Portugal and he did a, a scan on her. He, he detected, actually, that there was, it, was it was viruses within the dog that was called, you know, contributing to the blindness. Yes. Hence she came back and looked up for a bioresonance therapist that deals with animal and found me and we've done we've done we do a much more in-depth scan um, to what this guy in Portugal could do. I mean we've done the whole thing and we've actually sort of found out what's going on. So again, you know, the simple I say simple solution, but now we can we've identified where that's coming from. We can change this dog's diet, uh, get the tick collar off, start cleaning it up, cleansing it down. Uh, and give it some bioresonance therapy so we get all of the right frequency medicines to that dog to help it with its healing and you know we may we may be able to help that dog you know heal and get better whereas wow. if it continues down the path that it was going it, it would probably you know, yeah. in another couple of years it'll be gone at age 10, age 9 or 10, you know. And we are literally saving 
animals' lives using this technology. You know, dogs are here that the vets have said, you know, when, when I basically get a lot of clients come to me when they've been to see the trainer or the behaviourist and they've followed their advice and it hasn't solved the problem because, you know, as I say, any behavioural problem has got a health, underlying health problem. You can't just go in and sort behaviour. Yeah. So all these dog trainers and behaviours, if they're not looking at the health of the dog as well, are not getting the results. And these people are spending a fortune with these people. And then my clients that come to me and said, you know, I've already spent a thousand pounds with the behaviourist and the trainers and the vet and we've still got the problem. And then they come to me spend a few hundred quid and say, yeah, I wish we'd found you sooner. <laughs> <laughs> because it's so simple and, and you know, what I, what I say yeah. is so common sense. It's just yes, along the line we've forgotten it, you know, because we've been brain, very, very brainwashed to, as I say, you know, we'll get a puppy, let's go to the pet shop, get a bag of food and do this and do that and do this but as I say we're, we're yes. not providing for the animal's needs properly and what happens is, is something breaks down when we don't do something properly yes yeah, very, that's very true and the same thing goes for humans too most of our issues are like you know related to our diet you know they're dietary so we're Absolutely. eating eating all the wrong foods and not the right ones Absolutely. and then you can even heal from the right ones you know they can bring a vitality and an overall health to one that's just like a huge transformation in an individual so yeah when you speak of like the making those those changes with it with a a dog that makes sense mm -hmm. you know the life and vitality that comes back they, they, they may be the more balanced that the, uh, the the animal will have the pet will have i mean i you know i have had to go through everything that my clients have ever had to go through and I've had the issues and the traumas myself and I've found the solutions and then once I found the solutions I passed them on but yeah I mean I was diagnosed with stage four cervical cancer when I was 23 and I decided to change my whole diet and go on a raw food diet but I also this is what also led me into really wanting to learn the, the dog psychology and the human psychology and study the mind because the mind, my mind, to get my mindset right, I, I would say, you know, the food thing was the ma massive at helping aid in my body and doing what it needs to do, provide the right nutrients and get the toxins. I mean, you know, I got all toxic foods out of my diet and I went on a proper raw food diet and, you know, yes. cook foods or... But it was my mind, and I used visualization and meditations, and it was my mind that really healed me. And, you know, I, I went back four weeks later to the gynecologist, and he examined me, and he said, it's, it's all gone. He said, four weeks? Mm. He said, you had one of the most aggressive cervical cancers I've ever seen in all 30 Good. years of my of my working in this profession and he says and i've never seen healing like this he, he was like what is your secret <laughs> what have you done he said because i want to pass this on to you know my hundreds of women clients you know he was like how did yeah. you do this he was completely shocked and i was completely shocked <laughs> i thought he was i literally thought because he 
he called, he'd examined me and taken a cell culture and, and then I got a letter, you know, and I went away and I was doing all this healing on myself and I got a letter from him to say um, that he, he, they'd put the, my sample, because it, it, when they first found it, it was stage two, but by the time they took the next sample, it, it'd gone to stage four and he said, this is highly aggressive and he said, you know, I'm, I, you know, you, you're in serious danger here. Your life's in serious danger. So he called me back in. So I actually thought he was going to tell me I was going to die. And when he examined oh, me, he said, it's all gone. He was like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know. I was one of those miraculous stories. Yeah. And um, I remember walking out of the hospital, jumping in the air and punching the air like I just <laughs> the winning goal at the FA yeah. Cup, the World Cup, you know. Yeah, I was running around the, the car park screaming like I'm, I've got my life wow. back, you know. Yeah. And um, at that precise moment, I vowed to pass on. I just knew that was what I was, you know, what I was here to do was to help people and animals with their chronic disease. Um, and that's, you know, like I say, I've had to go through extreme trauma myself and these things to be able to find the answers and solutions, you know. And I, I often say, you know, to people, would you rather go and see a doctor and a vet who's never had cancer or would you rather go and see somebody for advice who's had cancer and solved it? You know, <laughs> I know who I'd rather go and see. <laughs> you know, I can see yeah. myself as an expert in how to heal my my conditions and you know this disease that we call cancer uh, which is cell cell abnormality you know cell abnormality comes from toxicity within the body and the mind and trauma yeah. um you know most people get cancer or, or animals get cut you know a few months after a very traumatic period in their life a loss or a big shock or something like that you know and this is where you know the the bioresonance frequency therapy that we use it it doesn't just test and tell you what's going on in the body you know we 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 can help with clearing that energetic trauma and memories and everything from the cells and the body because it's all energy it's all it's all stuck energy within the body so Using the the frequencies that we've got now, we can we can go in and certainly start help rebalancing, you know, the energy systems within the body, so the body can do its own healing. Um, and obviously, you know, once we've detected what's actually really going on in a in a human or animal, we can we can advise the correct steps to, or we can suggest, you know, and advise the best protocol, healing protocol. For, for that person and you know I, I don't call myself an animal healer or a human healer everybody does their own healing I'm just a tool and I've got a protocol and I've got solutions and I've got tools to help people yes and that's really what I do is I just sort of I'm, I'm a big support and help um I mean I do you know I do do spiritual healing as well I, you know, I, I'm really sort of got into the pet bereavement side of things and helping people with the transitioning of their animals and stuff like that and giving support during that time. Because, again, you know, I've been through it twice in my life and it is um, probably the most painful thing I've ever been through, you know, worse than the cancer yes. or anything else I've, 
I've uh, gone through my life partner breakups. Uh, I even had a miscarriage. And I mean, while all they were, all of those things were painful, the loss of my fair, my fair babies was definitely the most painful thing that I've ever gone through in my life because these animals just give you so much unconditional love and it's not just the love that they give you but it's the the unconditional love that you give them too you know and that's what i found you know when they when they disappear and suddenly you've just got all this love inside of you and you've got nowhere to pour it you know nothing to pour it into yeah um i mean i'm i'm lucky in the sense that i pour all of my love my absolute unconditional divine love into all of the work that I do and I know my clients all you know like love working with me because they do get that level of care and support you know if, if somebody comes comes and works with me I'm fully dedicated to helping them get as far as they need me you know I'll hold somebody's hand or as far as they need me once they've learned they know what to do and they can they can go off and do things themselves you know so yeah I absolutely adore my job as canine angel it's it's an absolute privilege to have to to have gone through all the traumatic dark times in my life to be able to transmute it all to the light and offer you know such a beautiful beautiful healing modality for the planet can you uh can you share with us about the uh, light code work that you do absolutely yes yeah that's fantastic work thank you thank you. you yes um i mean i've always been an artist i love you know i've got an artistic brain more than a mathematical brain should we say you know logical brain put maths and figures in front of me i'm like not really interested yeah. <laughs> put something artistic in front of me and you know i come alive um and yes i am very artistic and creative and yeah the the light code work now that really was um wow i mean that just was part of my sort of spiritual awakening as well um i mean where did that start goodness it was actually when annie started to get sick and uh i'd booked a, a five-day trip to ibiza and um i left annie with a friend but um i i knew that she had you know i just knew that she had cancer and she wasn't well and you know because I, I can go into into the animal's body if you like and I can I, mm -hmm. I knew what was going on yeah and, um, I didn't really want to leave her but I'd always wanted to go to Ibiza but when I was at Ibiza I was called to the as I think it's called the as Verdes rock which is the third most magnetic well they say it's the third most magnetic place on the planet you've got Bermuda Triangle Stonehenge mm -hmm. and this rock yeah, and I did a bit of study and research on this rock, and um, found a few articles, and there'd been quite a, a bit of, you know, UFO sighting around this rock, shall we say, and a bit of, you know, communication with the with the star, with the star. Yeah. So yeah, I was kind of guided to get on a, on this boat, and um, what's with the rock? It's just what? in a very very spiritual magnetic place in the earth and they they reckon that the mothership or there is a mothership under the rock 
in the sea. Uh, somewhere okay. down below. That's yeah. And I can honestly say when I was on the boat and I was coming up to this rock, I have never felt energy like it. I mean, I've been to Stonehenge. I haven't been to the Bermuda uh-huh. Triangle. And Stonehenge has a powerful magnetic field. You can feel it. Yeah, but when I went to this rock, I was blown away. I was absolutely blown away. And um, <laughs> I just started getting communication coming through from the sun. And like, you know, up to this point, it'd be mainly animals communicating with me, but I started getting communications from the sun and the sun said to me, look at me. And I was like, what? Because obviously uh-huh. we've been told in life not to look at the sun. Yeah. It'll make us go blind. <laughs> but it was so clear and it was so, like, I don't know, I just looked at it. And I looked at it and, and I found I could look at it. Not for too long, because it was quite high up in the sky at the time, but I could look at it. And then when I look, because I, spiritually, I can see auric fields anywhere. Um, I think a lot of people can, you know, but it's something I can do. I can see energy fields around people and animals, and I can see into them. And it's like I've got x-ray vision or something, you know. I was just gifted that way. or I, I was gifted, but I've also trained myself to do it. Yes. Uh, you know, spending all that time in those kennels with the dogs and stuff. And I, and I just used to put my hands on the body and feel every inch of the body and the animal would tell me what was going on inside their body. I spent years doing it, you know. So I have trained and studied in how to do this. But, yeah, the sun started communicating. It said, look at me. So I looked at it and then it said, look at the rock. And as I looked at the rock, I suddenly saw, like, the rocks auric field, and it was the most beautiful colours, all the new earth rainbow colours that we've seen all suddenly, and there was this gold beam shooting out of the top of the rock into the sky, and the sun said, send out healing, and I remember the first, said, send out healing to whoever you want, because this was a really healing ray, and yes. the first person, I, or the first thing I sent healing out to was Annie because she was very much on my mind and I, as I said I didn't really want to leave her but I obviously was had to go to this rock and have this spiritual experience yeah. anyway when I came back off this holiday this five days Annie was in a right mess um, but I you know I'd heard about sun gazing but I hadn't really studied it so I just took up studying sun gazing I was like what's this looking at the sun thing you know Hmm. and um, yeah I, I learned how to sun gaze properly uh, and how to look at it and how you build you know you look at it for 10, 10 seconds and then you next time you do another 10 seconds so you build up your time you don't just look at it for ages and you have to do it 45 minutes as it's rising or setting on the horizon because there's no what's known as the dangerous UV rays at that point. You know, when it's high up in the sky, you don't want to be starting like I did at the rock. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I can look at the sun when it's up in the the sky, but not for long. But when it's just setting on that horizon, you know, if you just gaze into it, and the, the gurus who do it for 45 minutes and just meditate with the sun... I mean, they say all disease leaves your body, you know, your whole diet changes, you, you need very little food or water, I think, because you're actually getting all your nutrients directly from the, from the sunlight into your eyes, into your brain and into your body. You don't actually need to eat the food. So this is where breatharians come in as well. I mean, I'm kind of studying that at the moment. 
Yeah, very nice. But I definitely, definitely yeah. noticed a complete change of my diet when I started sun gazing completely. I couldn't, I couldn't eat any heavy based foods like bread or I'm still eating, um, I'm still vegetarian at the time and eating a bit of eggs and a bit of butter. I went full vegan, full plant based when I started sun gazing. I just couldn't, my body said no more. So it just didn't yeah. want any heavy, dense food at all. Um, and then, yes, it, it was interesting because as a child, I always used to say, like, when I'm in my 50s, I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to paint the sun. And I, if you look at any of my artwork as a child, the, the sun is in there. And I just paint, I just love to paint the sun, the sunsets. And I was just like, that's what I want to do when I, when I grow up. I just want to travel the world and paint sunsets. <laughs> and... Um, so yes, this sort of fascination and suddenly meditating, I started going out and I became obsessed. Like as soon as the sun came out, I'd drop everything and I'd be like, oh, I was out there and just looking at it and learning and feeling what I'm seeing and, you know, sort of getting to know what was going on with the sun gazing. Um, and it was really interesting because I've been doing it for a couple of years, but when the, when the first sort of news of the the virus pandemic broke out and the whole world went into fear that fear energy i think we'll all remember it um it was a mass mass amount of fear energy mm. i remember i went up to my favorite spot at sunset hill and i sat there and i said i meditate with the sun and i said what can i best do to help the world in this situation and the son replied, take a picture of me every day without fail and post it on Facebook. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was expecting something a bit more, a bit different, you know? And I was like, but it really sort of said, you've got to do this every day. It was like a really important that I did it every day that I just posted light onto Facebook because obviously... That was that, that sort of our social media platform. That was where the fear was generating. I mean, it was very dark. Yeah. And it was almost like the sun was just saying, just post light now because you've got to balance this darkness that's going to be coming and entering the world. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I became quite obsessed with just going out and taking pictures of the sun and then posting them. And then I just started mirroring them. I was guided to mirror them and put them through the sort of the mirroring up and then all of a sudden these little beings were showing up in my light case and, and I was like oh and then I, I just opened my whole world up to the elemental realms and the fairies yes. and the fae and the pixies and the dragons came in and just all of these, you know, just just opened my mind up to all of that, you know, and the star seeds and the star system, and just the mass awakening, really, all through the, the sun gazing meditation. So I was given a directive by the sun to do 10,000 codes in 10 months. I was like, 10,000 in 10 months? I was like, well, that's a 1,000 a month. And I was literally banging out anywhere between 100, sort of 80 a day. I was just, I was just obsessed with it. And it, what was, what was interesting is we don't get sunlight, direct sunlight every day. Yes. In the UK. 
but for that month, because I was just told to do it for a month, that month we had sun every single day except the very last day, which was the 40th day, and I was just like, oh my God, I've achieved what I set out to do, was to capture the sun. It poured down with rain, and I was sat outside, and I had actually sort of learned to be able to bring the sun out if it was behind clouds. I was, you know, I was asking it to come out and show itself, and it would. And I was sitting there asking and asking and asking, and it just wouldn't come out that day. And I was like, how am I supposed to do my 40 days <laughs> if you're not going to shine for me? But it then suddenly just said, look at the raindrops. And I suddenly looked at the light on the raindrops on the leaves and things like that and I just suddenly got into the whole water liquid light coating and I was just like the whole thing opened up for me then uh, just a whole nother realm <laughs> opened up so yeah I just sort of started the the sound of the sun group on Facebook and it was just really a, a way to connect other star seeds light workers light coders artists I mean, the group isn't just for sun pictures, it's for anybody that does poetry or art or um, writing or video making or, you know, anything, really. Um, and I just wanted to get a real place that we could come together and, and go somewhere and get some light and some medicine, some light medicine, you know, if, if things got a bit too dark on Facebook, really. <laughs> yes. And now, you know, my newsfeed is just full of light and some pictures and sun codes. And, as, you know, I've connected with some amazing people um, over the last year on this journey, just sort of connecting with the sun. So, yeah, it's sort of kind of really opened me up. And, you know, the, the sun taught me as well, working along with the bioresonance as well, you know, the sun taught me, like my infrared rays, my ultraviolet rays, they actually, you know, disperse the virus, help the virus, you know, control whatever, kill the virus. I don't know what the right word is really, but deals with the viruses, you know. So, and it kind of made sense because we're obviously reading in the world how they're doing cloud seeding when the sun's setting and they're putting all these fake clouds in the sky when the sun's setting and I was just like you know to me it's kind of really quite obvious that there's a bit of there's a bit of something going on in the world that shouldn't be yeah um <laughs> shall we say you know and it's like they're trying to block these these frequencies and these healing frequencies coming through just really you know so they can get people on their drugs is all I'll say but uh, <laughs> yeah that that really I mean I don't want to go into that that whole conversation but yeah that really is what the the sun the sun gazing is about it's a, it's a bit of fun for me it's a bit of it got, got me out got me to nature and um yeah i'm looking at doing some sound of the sun workshops and teaching people how to sun gaze next because when I'm out sun gazing, people stop me and go, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm looking at the sun. And they go, oh, you can't do that. You'll go blind. <laughs> I was sat on a bench with a with an 80-year-old couple. This little old couple came and sat on the bench with me. And I said, what are you doing? Are you looking at the sun? You can't do that. So I sat them and I taught them how to sun gaze. And they sat there and it just completely blew their mind. They were, And they yeah. sat there and they was like... 
We've been on this planet 80 years. We never knew you could look at the sun. Um, well, there you go. <laughs> you know, and off, off they went. And something had awakened in them, you know. So I thought maybe, you know, I could I could help other people learn how to sungaze and meditate and just thing, really. So, yeah, we're going to be... I'm looking at um, start. hopefully starting something again with the Sound of the Seven Tours next year. Um, if I get the time and... Because I tried to launch it last year, but it wasn't all quite the right time and it wasn't quite happening. And But I think yeah. that is good. Because I still got my dream of, you know, traveling the world and painting the sun or looking at the sun. or Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I'd love to take the sound of the sun tours all over the world and take, you know, little groups of people and we have little adventures and fun times, you know, just just conversing with nature, really. Yeah. yeah. I'm all about yeah. having a bit of fun now because, you know, it, it all got a bit serious and a bit dark over the last few years. Oh, indeed. Indeed. I completely agree. Yes, it's time for that now, huh? Let yeah. the fun begin. Yeah. Yeah, and just like connecting with you, you know, it, it's, it has just brought in so many amazing things to my life. Yes. And as I say, just opened, opened my mind up to it. And, you know, I do even think, you know, what, what else are we yet to be awakened to, you know? There's so much yeah. to, to explore and discover still. It's, it's never-ending. It's never ending, you know. They say it's uh, infinite, you know. It's like you you experience some of that, you know. It's like there's just always something new happening or something unfolding. And you think about it, it's, it's going to be mind blowing. It just truly doesn't stop. No, and I do. But that's great. Do, sorry. Yes. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say I do. You know, I do. There's a lot of talk about disclosure and contact with other realms or other star systems and you know there's a lot of talk about that going on on the planet yes I, I do feel sort of the light coach you know we are starting to discover and these these beings if you like from the other realms are finding a way to communicate through our phones and the technology that we have got so we can sort of, you know, now they're, they're coming through the light code, you know, other people's light codes and everything, you know, they're bringing, I saw one the other day and it was like, it looked like a dragon coming out the sun, you know, it was there, yeah. it was, you could see it, there was no mistaking it. And it's almost like these other realms are being able to be seen. And I think we are actually in disclosure and they are being disclosed and we're, almost you know desensitizing ourselves or reprogramming our brains that that you know when they do sort of come into our visual awareness in reality right in front of us in kind of the 3d world that we're in at the moment if they can come into 3d i still think it's too too dense for them to come in here and people have got to go up to at least 5d to be able to see these things but, yeah. you know, they are we are going to be able to see them. I think when enough people have got into the fifth dimension, then we will see more and more, you know, the ones of us that are sort of there in the 5D now can see them. I, I can go into a forest and I can see them all with my eyes. You know, all the <laughs> things that I bring through for my picture, I can see them all. 
a sort of energy. I can, I can look at a tree and I can see the being or the dragon or whatever's trying to come through the tree. I can see it with my own yeah. eyes, you know. But those people that haven't quite awakened yet um, would probably think I'm crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> or I'm on mushrooms or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> like, what's that what's that girl being taken so yeah but um i'm i'm per perfectly sane and normal i'm just uh, i'm just excited to see what else is coming you know yes you know, i i agree i agree i think we're in a uh, definitely definitely an apocalypse right now and that uh coming from you know the, the greek definition of basically an unveiling you know it's Things are being discovered. Things are being disclosed. Mm. But uh, it's a good time, though, to uh, to ride that to ride that wave. Not necessarily ride it, but um, yeah, to be a part of of uh, just kind of uh, encouraging and inspiring more of it to happen. So I definitely appreciate the time that you've come on here to share what you have. Mm. The uh, coding is like absolutely wonderful. I love it, though. It, it's like it's just amazing. You can sit there and get lost in it, and I I do most times. Yeah. Is is are there other forms of art that you do as well? I mean, yes. I just keep getting called to actually pick up the old-fashioned way, you know, a pencil or some paints. Or, I mean, I just put my paintbrush down many, many years ago, um, and it's interesting because I did a painting. Um, I might be able to share it with you actually. I did a painting when I was seventeen. And mm -hmm. at the time, my art teacher, because I, I went to college and I studied art and art history and did A-level and, I, you know, I actually did all my art study. Um, and my art teacher at the time said to me, he looked at this painting and he said, what's going on in this painting? And I said, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, for, for anybody looking at it, it's like, well, what's, what's happening there? But actually, when you look at it now, it's exactly what's going on in the world now. Yeah. And what's interesting about it is I painted the Twin Towers. Oh, good. They were knocked down. And I also painted, I mean, this, I was 17. This was years before the Twin Towers. Yeah. And I put the Twin Towers in the painting. But I also put the, uh, I drew a car in there. And the car was the, was it Delors? The car from Back to Future, that's in my painting. And I actually wonder if I did travel in time to now and then went back at 17 and painted what was going on in the world now. Because, I, I mean, I've got this, the painting's very in interesting, but I kept this this really evil face. It doesn't sound very nice, but this, this <laughs> evil-looking face, Just I just kept drawing it and painting it. <laughs> when I was 17 and I I'm so, I was a bit disturbed at myself I was like what's, what's this, who's this, what's going on here, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because I've painted this face in this painting in the sun right? I've painted a big sun uh -huh. and then I've painted this, this face in there and it was a couple of years ago when all the news about Jeffrey Epstein came out and I was like oh my god I've, that's Jeffrey Epstein I've painted I've oh, painted wow. all of that all yeah. of that that's tied to him is in my painting when I was 17 so 
I was either it either just downloaded for me or I did do some sort of time travel and come back and paint it right <laughs> so yeah it would be really quite interesting if I got my paints out again I do think you know what 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 could I paint <laughs> Yeah. I'm being more and more inspired. I'm looking at more and more people's art at the moment and just feeling inspired to pick up some paintbrushes and get some paint on a canvas and see what comes out, you know? Yes. So it will happen. I think, you know, like I say, I, I, I would love to actually go and paint the sun because what I see and what the camera picks up is still two different things. I mean, the camera's... I think we do, you know, I, I do think this, this phone technology we've got is almost, you know, kind of morphing with us and developing with us or we're developing with it. And it is starting to capture, or we're, we're starting to capture what we can see when we look at the sun. I've seen it on other people's codes as well. We're starting to get the colours around the sun and, and all this stuff's starting to come through. But it's I always, you know, what I can see in the sun and what comes out in the camera is still two different things. And I would love to be able to paint what I see in the sun. And I think that's what's going to be going to come out of me next. I think that's what I need to do is sort of really do what I said as, as a little girl, you know, in my 50s. <laughs> I'm going to go and, you know, and that's that's only next year. So, yeah, that's that's what I'd like to do. Oh, it's never too late to get started. There's a lot of things I've got to do. I write books, I've got to paint, I've got to do this, this and this, but it's just finding the time <laughs> to do it. Yes. No, that's great that you've got the inspiration and you've got the ideas to do that, you know, and then you're feeling called to do it, a lot of it. It's beautiful work. Yeah. And you're also involved with something uh, with the fulvic minerals. Yes, that, that is really, yeah. And it's also like something that, that, that uh, is safe for uh, for like uh, pets to take as well. Is that right? Or you have a different uh, formula for pets, but it's kind of it's along the same lines. Yes. I mean, the fulvic mineral mission that, yeah, came into my life again probably 10 years ago. And again, um, I had a, well, I just had severe toxicity within my body and everything I tried couldn't get rid of it and then I met a, I met somebody a guy called Peter Gooch he owned the fulvic acid company and he said try this and again it was one of those things as soon as he said the word fulvic minerals and told me what it was I, I felt like I'd known it before you know I resonated with me immediately and I just thought said, yeah that's that's going to work and I took uh, I took the fulvic acid supplement for three months, and all of the toxicity left my body. Because I mean, I've got pictures on my website of my before and after. Uh, I had horrendous sort of acne, adult acne, all over my face, all down my back. And I tried everything to get rid of it. Um, and then you see, you know, the after the after picture of taking a product, I and mean, it's all my skin's all clean. <laughs> but yeah, again, it was so powerful what it did for my own healing and then obviously I gave it to Annie as well and the first thing I did because you can put it on your skin or you can put it in your body um she had cut herself she she chased something and ran into some barbed wire and cut her shoulder up really quite nicely and um 
I put this powder on this wound and it it healed up within like two or three days, no stitches. And I was just like, wow, okay, this is something quite incredible. And again, started, you know, adding it to my healing protocol for my clients and getting them on it. And they were coming back and getting better and the animals were getting better. And it's like very quick with the fulvic. It's, you know, almost immediately. Um, <coughs> And quick solutions is is a good thing in this world because the human likes the quick solution, doesn't want to wait too long for a solution, yeah. do we? Um, so, yeah, it, be, it became quite a powerful. But, um, yeah, so the six, six years on, um, the guy... What's in the minerals? Well, okay, yeah, fulvic minerals. Okay, fulvic minerals. Why do they work so fast? <laughs> <laughs> well, they are... They're their their nickname if you like is mother nature's miracle molecule and our dear mother earth has given us an abundant supply of this medicine and yeah it basically it, it comes from all the plant matter that was on the planet you know like 70 million years ago um, when the dinosaurs and stuff were around, we had big plants and everything like that. It's all decayed into the soil and taken 70 million years. And it forms, as it travels down this, all the plant matter and decay matter, it forms a layer in the earth. There's lots of different layers uh, of yes. earth and minerals. And, you know, you have to mine and dig deep for them. But there's a layer called fulvic, fulvic and humic acid. And if you leave fulvic and humic acid for another year, sorry, million years, it would turn into coal. And if you left it another million years or so, it would turn into diamonds. So fulvic and humic are part of what creates a diamond. And it's part of the carbon process. And as you know, the diamond is, is what the highest frequency gem that we have on the planet. Um. And we're all obviously turning into our carbon crystalline beings now, you know, that's, that's where we're heading. So this fulvic minerals was discovered uh, back in the 60s by um, a scientist called Dr. Hansen. Now, Dr. Jackson, whose formula I use, studied his work, but then did his own field study work and 